All right, let's jump into John chapter 20. Uh, the text this morning starts in a hard place. It starts in a cemetery. As a pastor, I've spent more than my fair share of time in cemeteries. Uh, I've kind of seen all different kinds of shapes and sizes of cemeteries. Uh, there was one place uh, that I remember that there were cemeteries, two small cemeteries, one on this side of the road and one on that side of the road. And I kind of wondered what their granddaddies did to each other that they couldn't be buried on the same side uh, of the road. Uh, there was another place uh, in Panama City that was so close to the highway that doing a graveside service out there always left me hoarse because I was screaming over the trucks and then all of a sudden the trucks would stop and I was just yelling at people uh, at a funeral and I, I never liked uh, that spot. And there was another place that was a really, really big uh, cemetery. And in fact, I, I met the funeral director there. And I said, well, I don't know where the, the graveside's going to be. He says, I'll give you a ride. I said, well, I appreciate that. And, and so he gave me a ride out there. We talked for a few minutes as we went out and zigzagged around back there. And then the, the, the graveside finished and everybody left. And then I looked around. And the funeral director had left too, and I'd been abandoned in the cemetery, uh, left there all by myself. I've been at cemeteries for a graveside of people that I love dearly, church members that I've known for a long, long time, that I'd walked with all different life things with them, and so that those services were always so deep and meaningful. I've also stood at the side of a graveside of someone that all I knew was their name. They had called the church and they'd wanted a Baptist preacher. And when I got there, all I had an opportunity was just to meet a person or two and hardly know anyone there. This past summer, I stood at my mom's graveside. Cemeteries are hard places. In fact, I don't know whether it's just me or maybe you do the same thing. When you drive by a cemetery, I always caught a glance to see whether one of the canopies is out. If you see one of those canopies out, you, you know that either there's a family that's about to gather under that canopy. Maybe it's going on in that moment or maybe it's already finished. And again, you don't have to know that family. You don't have to know their names. You don't have to know their story. But most of us know the feeling of standing under one of those canopies. And again, I have a feeling it's probably a, f a universal feeling is that when you're in the cemetery and you see one of the, the gravesides where the grass hasn't grown yet and the dirt is still fresh. Cemeteries are hard, hard places. And this passage of scripture starts in a cemetery. It's hard for us to spend time opening up the sermon and say, let's, let's share cemetery stories. But part of our task when we come to the Word of God is to walk into that text and to experience what it is that they are experiencing. And when this text opens, it's a journey to the cemetery. The dirt is still fresh. The grieving is only just 
beginning. The loss is overwhelming. And for Mary and the other women and the disciples, this loss came absolutely out of nowhere. This Jesus was so powerful. He was so strong. He was going to conquer everything. And now he's dead. These disciples, these followers of Jesus, they had literally left everything behind. They, they had walked away from relationships. They had walked away from businesses. They had walked away from their future plans. They had walked away from everything because Jesus was the future. And now he's gone. And not only does Jesus not seem to have a future, they got no idea what their future is. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus is alive today for real. Jesus is alive today for real. That grief that they felt was 100% real, but it was temporary. Because Jesus is alive today for real. And in fact, by the time this chapter finishes, by the time this chapter is halfway through, that grief is going to fall away and be absolute celebration and worship and wonder and awe and hope and power and everything for their lives. In fact, what we're looking at here in this passage of Scripture is we are looking at the moment that Christianity is created. It is this moment of resurrection. When the Jesus who lived, died, buried, was risen again, and he is alive. This is the moment that our faith, this is the reason why we gather on Sunday mornings. This is the reason we have anything to believe, because Jesus is alive today for real. This resurrection, this coming back, this reality that we look at in this passage of Scripture is the reason why your faith is alive today. This is the reason why your faith is a living faith in this day. And so here we stand about six or seven Sundays away from Resurrection Sunday. And I just think it's really important that this year that we spend some time getting ourselves ready to think about the resurrection and to celebrate the resurrection and to gather for resurrection. You remember last year we didn't get to gather together for Resurrection Sunday. Now we kind of did a, a makeup day in June when we came back together. But this year we're going to be together again. And I want us to make sure that when we stop to think about the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday, that we really can soak up all the truth that there is that comes with knowing that Jesus is alive today for real. And so we're going to dig into that for the next month and a half. Are you ready? Great. I'm going to keep going with you or not. <laughs> this good news is not just great news. It is the best news ever. And so what we're going to do this morning is that we're going to take a moment right here at what I'll call resurrection ground zero. 
and unpack it just for a minute. The first thing that I want you to see when we think about resurrection and we think about resurrection ground zero this morning, the first thing that I want you to know is that the best news ever was unanticipated, was unanticipated. What we see here is that the women are coming to the tomb and as they are going, they, they have their hands full because they are going to finish the burial process. In Jesus' time, the embalming process would not have been an internal experience. It would have been an external experience. And so what they would have done is they would have packed the body and they would have wrapped the body in these burial cloths. They would have packed that body with spices and perfumes to fight against the natural decay that occurred. In fact, if you remember just a few chapters prior to this in the Gospel of John, there is the, the, the moment where they stand at Lazarus' graveside and Jesus says, open it up. And they're like, we can't open it up. The, the smell is going to be too much. It was temporary because Jesus brought Lazarus back. But so what they're doing in this moment is that they are carrying all of these perfumes so that they can finish their grief, so they can finish preparing the body for burial. It is both simultaneously the least they can do and the most they can do. But there's a little bit of this that I can't help but think of as a missed opportunity. Man, there is no pictures of the moment that Jesus rose again. There's no one there with a Polaroid. There's no one there with their iPhone. There, there, there's no one there uh, with their Minolta or whatever it is. There, there, there's no one there that is standing there outside of the tomb waiting to take a picture of the moment Jesus rose again. Now the thing about it is, that's kind of on us. Because Jesus kind of said, write this down. I'm going to be killed and three days later I'm going to rise again and I mean he really kind of said listen this is going to happen and this is going to happen and he says write this down this is when it's going to happen and so there's a part of me that's like man how did we drop the ball and we didn't send a reporter to sit in front of that tomb with a camera waiting to take that picture I think about the disciples how did they not show up with camp chairs and deck chairs and sit out there? How did not the money changers that have been trying to make money off that, how did they not become ticket scalpers selling seats, front row seats to the resurrection? I think the reason was, even as Jesus told them, it just was too big for their brains. It was too big of an experience. This idea that Jesus says, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and then I'm going to be raised again, it didn't fit. It, it was a square peg in a round hole. It was trying to fit the ocean into an eight-ounce cup. It just didn't fit. And because they weren't anticipating it, because they weren't expecting it, they couldn't even recognize it when it happened. They arrive, the stone is rolled away. That's odd. Peter and John get there, they look in, the grave clothes are there, but there's nobody in them. And in fact, even part of the grave clothes has been folded up and put away. 
angels appear. But they did not catch it because they did not expect it and they did not recognize it because they had no anticipation of it happening. But at some point, the disciples begin to look at it and say, wait a minute. The pieces start to come together for them. The, 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 all those things that we just mentioned, the, the, the empty tomb, the, the grave closed, the stone rolled away, the angels, all of those things. Do you think the disciples kind of looked at one another and said, wait a minute. Is this? Could this? Do you think? Maybe? Didn't he? But they struggled with it because they so did not expect it to happen. Now, does that mean we kind of kick at these disciples and say, you big knuckleheads, how did you miss this? Well, I don't think that's a good idea. Some of them were pretty tough guys. I, I wouldn't do that if I were you. But, but I, I don't want to do that because I can kind of relate. There are things that I have missed in my life that I should have seen. But I also think there's a part of this that just adds a degree of credibility to the resurrection story. You know how some people, when they tell a story, they put themselves in the best light in the story? Uh, the funniest part of the story is the part that they did. When the problem needed to be solved, it was what they said and what they did. Uh, when, when they talk about that the smartest thing in the conversation, it happened to be the part that they remembered. We, we just have this tendency to put ourselves in the center of the story. But when the disciples told this story, they're like, yeah, we did not see it. In fact, you, you could have hit us on the side of the head with a head with a stone from the tomb, and we still did not see it. You have to know that this best news that ever happened by the people who saw it and witnessed it never saw it coming. But I will also tell you that the best news ever is unmistakable. The best news ever is completely unmistakable. Now the passage here tells us that Peter and John believe. Now it's not super clear what it is that they believe because it tells us that after sticking their head into the tomb, walking inside of the tomb, seeing the grave close, it says that they believe and then they went home. I don't think that they fully come to the full belief in the resurrection. I think what they believe is Mary's not making up this story that something strange has happened here. They believe that something is going on here, but they're not sure what it is. As Mary stays in that spot, the disciples go home. Mary stays in that spot. She looks in and has a conversation with two angels, but still does not believe. As Mary stands there, Jesus himself appears to her, and she still does not recognize him and believe. In fact, it is not until the moment that Jesus looks at her and says, Mary, and calls her by name. The moment when the evidence becomes an experience. That moment when it becomes a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. That's when she believes. But it's not just her. If you read ahead in the chapter, you also come across Thomas. 
Now Jesus appears to all the other disciples and for some reason Thomas uh, isn't there for that event either. And the disciples come to Thomas and say, we've seen Jesus, he is alive. We've seen him with our own eyes. We've had a conversation with him. We talked about these things. We did these things. It was absolutely amazing. It was fantastic. And Thomas says, yeah, I don't think so. Thomas says, I don't care what the disciples say. I don't care what the women say. I don't care what you say the angels say. I'm telling you, until I see him with my own eyes, until I can put my hands in the midst of his wounds, I'm not buying it. Well, the next time the disciples are gathered together, suddenly Jesus appears in the room. And he says, Thomas, you wanted to see me? Come and place your hands in these wounds. You see, until that moment, it did not matter what anyone else told him. Thomas says, I'm not buying it. But in that moment, when Jesus appears to him personally and says, here, you can touch me, it tells us that Thomas falls to his knees and says, my Lord and my God. And in fact, that's the story that unfolds but moving forward is that it's not just enough to know the information. It's not just enough to hear the facts. It's not just enough to hear the testimony. There has to come a time when the resurrection of Jesus becomes a personal experience in your life. Now, it became such a personal experience for the lives of so many people that the early church, when they began to meet, they moved their worship day from Saturday to Sunday. Why? because of the resurrection happened on Sunday. We gather here this morning because Jesus rose again on the first day. And that encounter, that truth, that reality is so powerful, it completely changes even their calendars and their experience. What about you? Where do you stand on the resurrection this morning? Uh, one of the things I want you to know is I want you to know that there is evidence for you to believe in. It's an event deeply rooted in history. There is strong historical evidence for the resurrection. In fact, I, I want you to take a look at the Gospels. Sometimes some people will pick a part of the Gospels and they'll say, well, there's a little bit of difference here and there's a little bit of difference here. And one says that the women went. One says it's just Mary Magdalene. And by the way, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a disagreement. And sometimes they say it this way and they, they find little tiny pieces to separate over. But, but here's what I'm going to tell you. You know what all of them say? All of them say is that Jesus, who died, was buried, was risen again, and we saw him. And what you need to know is that Jesus is alive today for real, and that's what they all say. In fact, if you look at the preaching of the early church in the book of Acts, the preaching in the early church in the book of Acts had one message. Jesus is alive today. He is resurrected. What you don't find is any sermons that say, listen, we love Jesus. He was really wise. He did these miracles. We loved hanging out with Jesus. And some people believe that he rose again. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. If that inspires you, then that's great. Nobody says that. All of them say he was dead, buried, and rose again. And it changed my life. But it's not just facts. It's not just evidence. 
There needs to come a time in your life when it is your experience that the resurrection is true. He will reveal himself to you just like he revealed himself to Mary and to Thomas and to Peter and to John and to all of the disciples. And he will reveal himself to you. And he will call you by name. Mary, Tim, Whatever your name is, he will call you by name. Maybe it's in a moment like this. Maybe it's in a thousand different ways. But if you will listen, and you will yield yourself, and if you will show up, if you will ask him, he will stir and reveal himself in your life. Now maybe you come this morning and there's a lot of things you like about church. You like the people at church. You like the music at church. You like a time of reflection. Uh, you like some good counsel and advice that comes from the Word of God. But this resurrection is a little far for you. The idea that Jesus is alive today for real is a little bit more than you're willing to take in at this moment. Let me tell you that he will reveal himself to you if you will seek him, if you will say, I need to get this solved where I stand with Jesus, if you will ask him to speak into your life and you will listen quietly for his voice, he will speak to you because Jesus is alive today for real. And the best news ever is unmistakable when he calls your name. I would also tell you that the best news ever is uncontainable. It's uncontainable in several different ways. A couple pages over, a few weeks later here in Acts chapter 2, Peter is standing before almost the entire city of Jerusalem assembled, and he is explaining what has happened that has transformed their lives. And he says in chapter 2 and verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter says, listen, if there's going to be a showdown between death and Jesus, put your money on Jesus. Because Jesus overcomes death every single time. Death, as powerful as it is, cannot overcome Jesus. Jesus conquers death always, every time. But I would also tell you in terms of it being uncontainable is that when the evidence becomes an experience in our lives, it bursts out of us. And in fact, you cannot wait to share the good news, the great news, the best news ever with other people that know Jesus just like you. Do you remember a few weeks ago we, we looked at the story of the lost son and the father who was waiting for him? And we talked about the fact in that story that the father runs to meet the son. And, and as many people have pointed out, it was highly unusual for a grown-up, for a man to run in public. Did you remember that? I want you to go back and look at John chapter 20. And I want you to notice how many people are running in John chapter 20. 
Why are they running in John chapter 20? Because Jesus is alive today for real and it completely rearranges their life and they cannot wait to find someone to tell. Mary runs. Peter and John run. They cannot wait to run and find someone else to tell. In the Gospel of Luke, there's the story of Jesus walking with two of the disciples. They, too, don't recognize him. And after he explains so many things about prophecy to them, they come to the end of their journey. Jesus says he's going to go a little bit further. They say, it's too late in the day. You can't go any further. It's too dark. Stay with us. Don't go any further. The the time for travel is over. And Jesus sits with them and breaks bread with them, has a meal with them. In the middle of that breaking bread, it's revealed that this is... Jesus. And in that moment, those two disciples say, we've got to tell everybody back in Jerusalem. The text doesn't say specifically that they ran, but remember, they said it's too late for travel. Now they're going to walk slash run that seven miles back to Jerusalem because we've got to tell the other followers of Jesus that he is alive today for real. And I don't know whether you ran into church this morning. Maybe your kids did. But I want you to have inside of your heart that you leap for joy at the opportunity to gather with other people who know Jesus, follow Jesus, love Jesus, and we're going to gather together every Sunday and celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive today for real in our lives. And I want us to feel that supernatural power. That we're not just gathering here because it worked out on our schedules. We're gathering here because Jesus is alive today for real. And we've just got to be with other people who believe the same thing. The best news ever is uncontainable and we cannot wait to share with other people who know Jesus and follow Jesus as well. But don't miss that because the best news ever is uncontainable, we don't just share it with the other people that already believe. That the great calling on our life is that we also share it with those people who do not yet believe. Your classmates, your coworkers, your family members, your friends, the people that God has ordained to cross the paths of your life that do not yet know Jesus, this becomes the purpose of our church, it becomes the purpose of my life, it becomes the purpose of your life, it's the whole rest of the book, is telling the people who do not yet know about Jesus that Jesus is alive today for real. That's the whole story because the best news is uncontainable. And they ran to tell anyone who would listen. So what's the takeaway this morning? How do we, what's the now what this morning? I would just want to say a couple of things about how the resurrection changes our lives. It is possible that you have heard the evidence, but you haven't had the experience. It's possible that you could have preached this sermon this morning. It's possible that you could have read this text and said all of the same things that I said this morning because you know the same things, but you haven't experienced it yet.
It's an idea that belongs to somebody else. And maybe it's possible that Jesus has spoken and called your name even today. And today is the day that you're supposed to say yes to the Jesus who is alive today for real. And because he is alive today, you pray to him and say, Jesus, I want everything that you have for me. I want the forgiveness of sin. I want you to remove every barrier, every, every obstacle that stands between us. And Lord, I, I want you to do that in my life right now. And I want you to be the center of my life. And I want to live under your grace and under your authority the rest of my life. If you've never done that before, and there's a stirring inside of you, what I want you to do in the quietness of your heart to the heart of God, I want you to call out to him and say, I want that forgiveness. And I want to live under your grace and your authority for the rest of my life and for all of eternity. And if you've never done that, today can be the day that you do that. Maybe, maybe you're a skeptic. And maybe what you need to do is you need to ask God to reveal himself to you. And you need to say for the next 30 days, for the next six weeks, God, I'm going to listen. I'm going to spend time in your word. I'm going to come to worship. And I'm going to lean in to listen. And if you will speak to me, then I will respond. But I'm X number of years old, and it's time I figured out where I stood on the reality of the resurrection and the aliveness of Jesus. And maybe that's the season that you need to enter into that says, I will listen, and God, if you will speak, I will respond. There's one more piece to that. Sometimes we talk about a spectrum of belief and we can talk about some people on a spectrum of belief and say all the way over on this end of the line would be someone that would call themselves an atheist. And then you come over just a little bit further and there's another person that would call themselves an agnostic. The difference between the two is that the atheist says, I know that there is no God. The agnostic says, I don't know but basically, I'm going to act as though there isn't. I can't know for sure. And sometimes we kind of, I mean, I, I don't want to be rude, but, but you kind of say like an agnostic is an atheist without commitment. You know, they just kind of say, well, I, I, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you that there's another category, and we would probably put it on the, on the belief side of the spectrum but I would call it a believing agnostic and says, eh, it's probably true, but I don't necessarily know that it's going to rearrange my life. And if someone were to say to you, do you believe that Jesus is, is raised again? You'd say, yeah, I guess, sure. Again, on the belief side, but lacking the commitment that says, this is what I know and I'm going to allow it to rearrange my life. The believing agnostic makes two mistakes. 
One, they don't recognize how big the resurrection is. It's not something we can just nod our head at. It's not something we can just shrug our shoulders at. If it is true that Jesus was dead, buried, and rose again, and he's alive today for real, oh, 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 there's not a part of life that it doesn't touch. And so the believing agnostic that just says, sure, why not? Missing misses out on the fact that this is the most profound truth in all of history. The second mistake that a believing agnostic makes is that they underestimate that this is personal. This isn't a textbook question. This isn't a fill-in-the-blank question. This is your life. Where do you stand on the resurrection? Do you believe this from the depth of your soul? Has he called your name? Is he resurrected and alive and present in your life? And so as we finish this morning, maybe you're supposed to say yes. Maybe you're supposed to tell God, I'm listening. And maybe you need to allow the thing that you've said you believe to actually rearrange your life. Jesus is alive today for real.